today we're going to wrap up a little series that's leading up to our experience with Believe. It's called Engage. Just a little series that has been designed to encourage us and to challenge us to engage, to engage our faith and to engage in God's word proactively with the purpose of becoming more like Jesus for the sake of others. And so in the beginning of this series, we took a look at engaging in community together around God's word. We talked about engaging with our families and the power when a family gathers around the profound word of God. We talked just last week about engaging in scripture memory, that painful process that takes scripture into our mind and gives us the ability to recall it, to hide it in our heart. In the pattern of Jesus, when at his lowest point uh, in his beginning of ministry, when he was in the desert, Satan tried to take advantage of him and to tempt him, but because the word of God was hidden in his heart and he spoke out truth, he caused Satan to tuck his pointy tail between his leg and flee. Jesus won, and as a result, we can do the same with God's word. Today, we finish up this series by asking and answering the question, what does worship have to do with this whole idea of becoming like Jesus? Engaging in worship to strengthen our faith. Before Stephen comes out, I want to share with you one of my favorite passages of scripture on worship that answers, what does worship have to do with the discipleship process? It's Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 18 through 20. Listen carefully. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's powerful words. And the analogy here, uh, we oftentimes try to overlook because it seems to be inappropriate, but I'm going to go there for the purpose of really pointing out what Paul is saying. If I were to paraphrase it, listen carefully, do not be drunk with spirits, small s, but get drunk on the spirit, capital S. That may seem irreverent, but that's what Paul is saying. The whole thing is about yielding. It's about yielding. When you keep yielding to strong spirits, to strong drink, you keep yielding to it, eventually those spirits will take over control of you and lead you, Paul says, to a place of debauchery. <laughs> When's the last time you said that word? The word debauchery simply means that these spirits, small s, if you yield enough to them, will take you to a bad place, not only for you, but for the people in your life. Paul says what's true of yielding too much to small spirits is actually the same outcome when you yield your life to the spirit, capital S. When you yield to the spirit, not just an occasional yielding, a social occasion, like just in a service like this, but when you overdo it, if you will, and yield to the spirit, at some point, the spirit will take control over you. 
The spirit will take control over you and not lead you to debauchery, but will lead you and your family and your friends to a good place. Question, how do you yield to the Holy Spirit? Well, we know how to yield to the Spirit's small s, right? You just keep drinking. What Paul says, it's very similar, but it has everything to do with corporate worship. He says we yield to the Spirit by drinking in corporate worship, by speaking, by singing, and giving thanks. He says, by speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the hearts. To the best of our knowledge, psalms refer to what you think, the psalms that were written in the Old Testament. Hymns seem to refer to uh, information and truth about Jesus himself. Think of H-I-M. And then songs from the heart are those new songs that are written. As we yield to the spirit, new things emerge. So new songs always need to be written. And we speak them to one another and we convert them into songs like we just experienced. And again, in the process of that, he's saying, make sure that your heart is one of thankfulness to God in everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says. You want to get... You get, you, you get drunk on small spirits, you go to happy hour at the local bar. You want to get drunk on the spirit, you come to happy hour at Oak Hills Church. You okay with that, church? You okay with that? That's what we're doing. Now, there's somebody else that you've already met that I want to bring back out again to talk about the role of worship in his life and the role of worship in your life. So welcome back to the stage again, my good friend, my believing buddy, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Come on out, Steve. Stephen, thank you so much for being here. Um, let me ask you uh, uh, this question. See, see you're known to, to all of us as a singer-songwriter from Nashville, and we think of songs like uh, Cinderella. We think of, uh, boy, you can shout out some, right? I will be here. Who didn't yeah. have that at their wedding? Uh, uh, yeah, the if, great if you didn't have that at your wedding, it, you, you need to make sure it, it really took. That's the, <laughs> it's like the official wedding. You know, no, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> so some incredible songs, but uh, now you've uh, ventured into this mm. arena of worship, mm. uh, but it didn't just start here. Uh, tell tell yeah. us about the importance of your journey into worship. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always felt like every song that I've written has been a worship song. Years ago, I did an album, actually, some may remember called, talking about I Will Be Here. It was an album called All About Love, and it was a song, it was an album full of songs I'd written about my journey with my wife, Mary Beth, and, and I really... I remember going to my record label, they were talking about doing a worship record, and I said, you know, I feel like this is my worship record right now because I feel like, you know, the, the better I can love my wife, the people in my life that God's given me, that's, that's an act of worship. Everything that we do, do as, you know, an act of worship. So I felt that about even songs like Cinderella, you know, about showing up in the lives of my kids and all that. That, that is, that's worship. That's, that's what God, you know, wants from us. And, and all of that is saying, God, you know, I want to do it your way. I want, to, I want you to be at the center of my life as a father, as a husband. But specifically songs that, that are from Scripture, songs that declare these are the things that we believe. Those kinds of songs um, became exponentially more important to me 
um, in recent years, about seven years ago especially, uh, being a guy who loves singing worship songs, but often found myself feeling a little bit like, I don't know if I'm getting what everybody else is getting from this, you know, because there's, there's an experience sometimes that comes with, with that, doesn't always, but often I would think, gosh, I don't know if I'm really, I don't know if I mean this, I need to try harder, I need to sing harder, um, or, you know, something's not, am I connecting with these, these truths in the way that I should? And I don't know if any of you ever feel that way. And, um, and even reading the Psalms and, you know, your love is better than life and thinking, yes, I know it is, but, but God, am I, you know, am I supposed to feel something that maybe others are feeling and, and you know, where, where am I missing it? And um, seven years ago, we lost our youngest daughter and many of you here prayed for us and journeyed with us through that as a family. And it was in those darkest days and continue to be those darkest moments because as you all know with your own stories of loss and heartache um, this side of heaven you know we sang it this morning that great day when he wipes every tear from our eyes but they're not wiped from our eyes yet they are for a season but then if you're like me they come back and and pain comes again and in these last seven years um, particularly at the beginning of our journey through the the valley of the shadow of death unbearable um, that I didn't know how we would survive. There were many moments that I found having songs and psalms to declare became not just important, it was what kept me alive. It was what kept my heart, my, my soul, my faith alive, was being able, even at Vanderbilt Hospital, gathered with my family, knowing that my little girl had gone to be with Jesus and not knowing how we were gonna possibly take a step out of that hospital and begin to live life. I, out of desperation, I heard myself whisper. I couldn't sing it yet. Um, before it was all said and done, I would scream it, I would whisper it, I would squeak it out, I would go find a place where nobody would hear me and I'd scream until my voice was gone. And I would say, blessed be your name. You give, you take away but I will choose to say, blessed be your name. And, and I will trust you in another Job verse, even if you slay me, even if you make no sense, I have nothing else. I have nothing else to hold on to, but, but I'm gonna trust you in this darkness, in this confusion. And, and in those places, I began to even read the Psalms differently. And I began to realize that when, you know, most of those verses that David ends up with, your love is better than life. It starts, if you go to the beginning of it, most of them start with, how long, oh Lord? How long are you gonna forget me forever? I mean, he's, he's hopeless, he's in despair. And, and, and even, you know, in Psalms when he says, I would have given up hope if I hadn't believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If I didn't believe that I'd see it again, but I don't see it right now, but I'm gonna declare it, I'm gonna proclaim it because where else would I go? You know, that great scripture in the New Testament when Jesus turns to his disciples and he's, some are beginning to leave him and he says, are you gonna leave me too? And they say, well, God, you have the words of life. Where else would we go? When we get to that place of desperation, like my pastor often says, you know, we don't really cry Abba Father till we first cry uncle, till we're, <laughs> till we're desperate enough <laughs> to really need God at that level. And for me, that's so much of where, where music that gave me these declarative statements that God, you are the God of forever. You have eternity in your hand, so I can trust you with this moment right now. Those kinds of statements became so important for me to have to hold on to, whether I felt a single thing or not, I was just gonna 
sometimes it felt like standing in a, you know, an oncoming tsunami wave going, I'm done for, but I'm going to go out with this. I'm going to go out declaring this to be true. And, um, and so in that process, I really began to connect in a different way to worship music and songs. I began to incorporate it more into my concerts. I would start every concert with blessed be your name and how great is our God. And just because I needed to hear myself, my own voice declare these things. And then out of that, we began to talk about this. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm your believing brother here on this. Let's do this thing. <laughs> well, I think it's really fascinating. You know, sometimes we think the person who is the best worshiper is the person who has it all together. Uh, but Stephen has declared that uh, the pathway to worship was tragedy and that oftentimes it's not the person who has it all together, but it is the person who finds himself in a place of desperation. So how could you give thanks to God in everything, including tragedy? Because it may be the very thing that leads you to be desperate for God and the declaration of his truths that hold your life together and anchor them uh, in his word. So uh, I want to give you a little bit of the backstory of how we came to sit here today. Uh, back in December of 2013, I was on this thing called the Story Tour. That was the result of the story that we did here at Oak Hills in 08. And uh, this was our third year of doing that. And I was narrating the story in arenas around the United States. And we're traveling with a bunch of artists. And my dressing room buddy for that year was Stephen Curtis Chapman. And so I don't remember what city we were in. We're going to have to check that out. Uh, but I do remember that it was a, an arena, an ice hockey arena. The ice was still on the floor. They just threw the floor on top of it. It was freezing cold. And our dressing room was not an opulent uh, Ritz-Carlton. It was the smelly men's locker room, you recall. It was just, it was the locker room, and it reeked. And, uh, and, and, and I remember uh, Stevens at a, a rickety folding table uh, on his computer working on a family project. And I was sitting on a rusty folding chair, leaned back with my computer on it, with my head in one of the uh, smelly lockers. And I was writing uh, on Believe. And he says, what are you doing? And I told him that I'm writing and editing uh, scriptures right now uh, as uh, the follow-up to the story. He says, what's it about? And I gave him the vision behind what we're about ready to do. And he says, well, let me take a look at that. And so I gave him chapter one which you're gonna be looking at starting this next week, uh, just scriptures related to who God is. And I went off to do the first half uh, of uh, narrate the show. When I came back at intermission, he says, come in here, listen to this. And he played the very first song called The One True God after digesting these scriptures, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Pick it up from there. Yeah, well, um, you know, as, as Randy started telling me about this project, just given the background I just told you, he's saying, yeah, we're, I'm working on this. And it's, it's really all about just how do we get what we believe from here to here, where we really live out of these beliefs. And it was just kind of like, you know, that's exactly the journey that I feel like I've been on, especially these last several years. And you know, he's saying we need music. You know, we're talking about doing something like the story, um, you know, where, where there's a music component to this and, uh, you know, to help us, you know, have these songs that, that carry these things to even deeper. Because as you guys know, I mean, music can take words deep, deep into a, a place in us. And, and he's talking about all this and, and around this theme of just 
declaring what we believe, coming to understand what it is we believe, and then get in, in, into our heart so we live out of that. And it was like, you know, fireworks going off in my brain. I'm going, that's, yeah, do that, you, go. You know, <laughs> I didn't even know what the words, it was like, yeah, yeah. And, um, and so I, I, I wanna see, you know, what you're, what you're up to there. And, and immediately I thought, these have got to be um, songs that, that we can together corporately say and declare and sing and stand and, and say, these are the truths, these are the things that we believe and just marinate in those and soak in them and hear our own voice. Cause as Randy points out, great, you know, what's, how do you get it from here to here? You know, halfway between is the mouth and, and hearing our own voice declare these things. And so I'm reading over this, you know, one true God and, and my own experience again of just over and over having to say, God, I believe that you are God and I am not. I wrote a song about that a few years ago out of another dark journey of, of family, dear family of ours who lost their daughter in an accident and just having to grapple with, God, what do I do with all this? And, and can I really trust that you are in control because I'm so aware that I'm not. So I'm reading these words about just declaring God as the one true God is where it all begins. It starts here, that God is God, I'm not, he's on the throne. And, I, and will I trust him? Will I, will I let him have his rightful place in my life? And, um, and so just the song, uh, I, I sat down and my thought was, you know, now you need to get the trained professionals to come write the, the worship songs. You know, the Matt Redmonds, the guys that write those that we sing, because my songs tend to be more story songs and, and telling a story and singer-songwriter. But, but I was like, I want in on this. You know, I don't want to miss out on this. And so uh, here's, you know, here's kind of my version, but you know, now you'll probably want to go get the trained professionals to do the real, the real job. And um, this guy was... Uh, my greatest cheerleader to go, no, I think God's put this on your heart. I think this is something he's calling you to do. Yeah, I, re I remember very clearly that we, we, were, we had already uh, sort of earmarked who was gonna work on the project and I came out of that hockey arena to the, to the folks in charge of this and I said, he's the guy. God has been building something up in him that needs to come out that I feel deeply about. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take, uh, uh, give you an example. This is right out of Ephesians 5 where we speak to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, and then out of that, a new song emerges. So in chapter 5 of Believe, which you'll be studying, I, I put together scriptures from beginning to end that talk about who you are in Jesus Christ. It's our identity in Christ. And so Stephen read these scriptures that you'll be reading and saturating in, and out of it came a new song. And I wanted to, him uh, to give you a little bit of uh, the backstory to that song and, uh, and uh, share it with you. Uh, does, that sound, does that sound okay? Is that all right? Yeah, does that sound okay? All right. Well, um, anybody that knows anything about our story, my family, you know, that I'm the dad of six children. And uh, we say that we have three natural and then three supernatural. Um, you know, they run around with little capes on and fly around the house. No, but they are, uh, they, they, they are amazing uh, gift to our family through the miracle of adoption. One, or more, one of the many other things I love about Oak Hills and love about mm -hmm. you guys here in this family is that you have a heart for adoption, your wonderful tapestry ministry here, and uh, how you've partnered with us with Show Hope and, and just so encouraged by that. And one of the, the places where the gospel became so much clearer what God's heart is for me, for us, as his sons and daughters. You know, wrestling with that as kind of a recovering, uh, lifelong um, 
legalist, you know, I'd figure God likes me better when I'm doing it well and, you know, isn't that fond of me when I'm, when I'm messing up. And so trying to really understand how is it that, God, you love me just as I am, not as I should be. Um, you are at work in me, changing me, but, but your love is unconditional. There's nothing I can do to make you love me less. There's nothing I'm ever going to do. No great song I'm going to write. No great performance I'm going to give. No great thing I'm going to do that's going to make you love me any more than you already do right now at this moment. That's kind of unbelievable, but that is true. That's the incredible truth of the gospel. And, and one of my favorite verses uh, is how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, the sons and the daughters of the God of the universe. You know, if we could really get a hold of that, how differently would that make us live our lives today when we walk out of here, the way we engage with people, the way we engage with the world, this sense that I am the son of the king of kings, the God who owns it all, the God of the universe. I'm the daughter, uh, the princess of the king of kings. And for us, again, for me as, as, a, as a dad, to come to understand that so much more deeply when we held our little girl for the first time, Shohana, uh, adopted from China, 15 years ago, we're standing in a hallway in, in a hotel in China where we just met her. She's put in our arms. And for my wife and I both, it was just this profound sense of God saying, you can't explain this, love, but right now you would give your life for this child. And, and there's nothing she has done to earn that, to deserve that. She hasn't done any of the neat tricks that she would eventually learn to do and become <laughs> the amazing, beautiful little girl and young lady that she is now. But our hearts immediately just took her in and God gave us this love and we began to lavish love on her to the point that I think she's pretty sick of it because we would all stand around and wait for her to wake up in the morning at her door and fight over who got to go in to get her. All of our older kids and everybody, as soon as you heard a little squeak, they'd be like, can I go get her? And, and you know, you could tell at times she was just like, okay, enough of the lavishing love. I need a little space, people. But, but that was, you know, such a great picture for me and such a great reminder of who it is that we are to, to God, but the, the challenge is, um, is believing that. Even I watched my little girl, in fact, I had a song on my last album, one of those story songs called uh, Only One and Only You, about my little girl, Shoei, because I watch her struggle with believing that she's beautiful, believing that she's everything that I see her to be. Um, I watch her wrestle with that. And so I wrote this song to say, no, this is, this is who you are. This is who I see you to be. Will you trust me as your father um, that, that I see a much clearer picture of who you are than, than who you believe yourself to be right now? And I think that's one of our great challenges um, to continue to go back to God's word and say, no, this is who he says we are. We have so many voices. Um, yeah, I do. I know just, just saying this, saying that about who we are, who we aren't. Um, will we let the loudest voice be the voice of our maker, our creator, um, our redeemer, who says, no, this is who you are. This is what your identity is. It's in me. So I wanted to put that in a song. Um, and uh, so I did. And uh, I think I'm going to sing a, uh, just a chorus of this. And, and I think you may know, some of you might know this one, but just invite you to sing this with me. And then uh, I think we'll, we'll, uh, my band will come out and we'll, we'll sing it with you again. But let's just, let's learn this chorus together and let's celebrate that we are his sons. We are his daughters. We are who he says we are. It says, hallelujah, we are who you say we are. And we lift our hands and cry, Abba, Father. It's like reaching up to our, you know, to our dad or mom saying, God, I need you help. Um, I, I want to 
I want to trust you. I want to trust that, that what you say about me is true. So we, we say, Abba, Father, Daddy, hallelujah, we are who you say we are. Okay, let's sing this together. We are your sons. news.